take a seat. Now, I want you to do some thinking to start with this evening. What's the weirdest present you've ever got for Christmas? What's the strangest gift you've ever... I'm just thinking, just think inside your head. That's okay, you don't need to answer. Oh, go on then. What was the weirdest present you got? Car mats. Car mats. I'm a little bit nervous. This is my son, but I'll... What's the weirdest present? The hot chocolates for your birthday. That is a very weird Christmas present, I must admit. The hot chocolates for your birthday. My dad was the king of weird presents. One year, I can beat Carmats, I got wood glue uh, for Christmas. Another year, I got a stapler, um, which isn't so bad, except for it was the stapler from our study. So my dad had gone in to do some wrapping, and he just decided to wrap up the stapler uh, and to give it away. One year I got a book album, you know, the sort of ones that they, they do about uh, different things. I got a book album of a television show that I'd never watch uh, from my dad. And one year I got eight pink candles. Um, you might be able to guess that I'm not particularly a, a candle sort of guy. Now, if it had been four candles, <laughs> that might have been funnier. Especially because actually part of our childhood really was the television watching uh, at Christmas. That was one of the big things. And that was always a gift for us at Christmas, was Christmas television. And uh, there was, of course, the four candles uh, sketch. If you've not seen that, I've been surprised this week, the number of people I've talked to who have not seen the four candles sketch. Uh, Google it when you get home, have a look on YouTube, it's consistently voted the second funniest comedy sketch of all time. It's so much so, you can even buy uh, Christmas presents uh, that sort of mix them up. So if you're still in need of some, uh, there you go. But I decided this evening, well, in honour of four candles and the weird sort of presents that you get, uh, I've got uh, four candles uh, this evening for us from our passage that we saw in Isaiah. This evening, um, we're looking at four lights that we see there, four candles that tell us about the hope of Christmas time. The light of joy, the light of the world, the light of freedom, and the light of peace. Now this passage in Isaiah was written a long time ago, about 2,700 years to be more exact. But it still speaks to our hearts' longings as we look at these four candles. I mean, who doesn't long for joy? Who doesn't long for true freedom? Who doesn't long for peace in the world and in ourselves? So listen in as we hear what Isaiah has to say to us at Christmas time. The first candle that we're going to see is the light of joy. Let me read to you again verses 1 to 3. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. Now, Southerners are always telling us, aren't they, that it's grim up north. And uh, it was no different in Jesus' day, and even 700 years before him when this was written. The north of Israel was seen as gloomy and dark. The north had a bit of a reputation of being a bit dismal. And when one of Jesus' future disciples is told that Jesus comes from Nazareth in the north, his response is, can anything good come from there? 
Now we know that all these uh, insults and disses in the, of the North are all really Southern propaganda. No offence if you're Southern. Um, but in Israel it was a bit true. So this was part of the land that had always got invaded. It was always changing hands between Israel and its enemies. And it was treated with contempt by both sides. It was always seen as the dark side, really, of wherever it was. There were no big cities, just small fishing villages all around Lake Galilee. It was seen as a real backwater. Though I guess if you were around the lake with lots of fish, at least they had some fish suppers up north. But uh, Isaiah's point is that where this gloom had been, where this darkness had been, light would dawn. Those walking in darkness and gloom would see a great light. light, And it would be like the joy of all these wonderful things coming to this backwater region. Joy like when the harvest comes in. Now don't think sort of harvest festival. If you had to go to a harvest festival when you were younger, um, you know, one of those things you have to do as a parent as well. It'd be more like the, the celebrations when a war ends. You know, parties in the streets, dancing in the streets. Think of Mardi Gras or Carnival. It's that sort of mood. Their gloom is going to turn to gladness. The darkness to light. The misery to merriment. That will put most of our Christmases to shame. And don't we all need a bit more joy in our lives? Did it strike you as we went through those readings? How much joy is mentioned about Christmas time? About Jesus coming into the world? Well, Isaiah is saying something will happen that will bring joy to the peoples of the north. A light will dawn that will bring happiness like they've never known. What is that light? Well, we're going to go right to the end of our passage and then come back to the middle bit so that the rest of it makes sense. What is it that brings the joy? Well, it's our second candle, the light of the world. Let me read to you from the end of our passage. For to us, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The thing that brings this great joy is the birth of a child. Now, often the birth of a child will bring great joy to a family. Uh, I think some some people in the room might know that, uh, as it's been quite recent for some in the room. But this isn't just any child, not that any child is just any child. But uh, this was going to be a prince, a king that was born. One who will rule and reign. Not just for a little, but forever. I'm always surprised when I see the Queen's speech on Christmas Day. I think she does very well. Uh, I looked this up. She's been reigning now since 1953. That's 66 years. And she's now 93 years old. Now, it might seem like she's been reigning forever. But actually here, there is someone who will reign forever, who does reign forever, literally. And look what he's called. Wonderful Counselor. I mean, the Queen's been around for a bit. I imagine she gives good advice. But imagine someone who's been around forever. They'd be the, the one really to go for for advice and counsel, wouldn't they? The greatest counsellor of all time. The greatest preacher of all time. We're talking really about Jesus, aren't we? Jesus Christ. And you know what? He did his preaching in the north of Israel. That's where he started his ministry in Galilee. The very place that we've just been talking about. But he was more than a preacher or a counsellor. The next thing that he's called 
is mighty God. Mighty God. You can begin to see why this is such a great cause of celebration. The child that is causing this joy, the child that is causing these celebrations, is none other than God himself. And that's why Christmas is such a big deal for Christians. This isn't just a moral teacher or religious leader being born. It's God himself come as a man into the world. We're going to sing later on, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Jesus was both God and man. He was mighty God. And this was prophesied 700 years before he was born. And that fits with the next name that he's given too, everlasting father, a caring father figure who goes on forever. And then finally, prince of peace. He won't be a warmonger, but a peacemaker. His reign will not be unending war, but perpetual peace. So many leaders of the world down through the ages have promised their people peace, but in the end have only really brought them war. Well, here is a prince of peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. He promises his people peace and justice and security forevermore. Jesus coming into the world is the source of this great joy, the light of the world. But there's even more in our passage that we understand about why this is such a great occasion of joy. Candle number three, the light. Actually, that should be the light of freedom. The light of freedom. Have a look at verse, oh, well, you can't look at verse four, but here, verse four. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you are broken as on the day of Midian. This one here who brings joy also brings freedom. Now, freedom is one of those words that gets banded about. Uh, Not many Christmas songs mention it, but Wham had a hit with a song called Freedom, so it must be Christmassy if Wham did it. Um, But actually, it's the theme of a lot of songs. It's a lot of the longing that goes on in our world. So quick quiz, here we go. I can't see you very well because it's quite dark, but I'll try and see if I can see your hands up. Who sung these lyrics? I want to break free. I want to break, yeah, right at the back. Queen. Queen, correct. I've got no, no, no sweets, I'm afraid, this evening. But uh, you can have a mince pie at the end. Um, anyone can have a mince pie at the end, just to clarify. Um, <laughs> okay, how about this one? Uh, I'm free to be whatever I, whatever I choose, and I'll sing the blues if I want. Not the Rolling Stones. Hold that answer in a second. Ooh, no Oasis fans this evening. Okay, it's Oasis, whatever. Okay. How about this one? I'm free to do whatever I, sorry, I'm free to do what I want any old time. Yes. Rolling Stones, that's correct. <laughs> freedom is something that we long for. We sing about it. We rejoice in it. Freedom is something that we want. Nobody wants to be oppressed. Nobody wants to be exploited. We all want freedom. Now you might find it strange to hear a church minister talk about freedom. Because the church down through the ages has been an instrument of oppression and exploitation. But that doesn't mean that that was what it was supposed to be. The Bible has a very different picture. An instrument of freedom. That's what we see here. This great light brings freedom. The picture that's given is a great victory that's been won. That's the reason for the great joy. The people have been burdened, oppressed. 
But now their oppressor has been beaten. Their burden has been lifted. And the victory is compared with a victory of a battle uh, with a, a group of people called the Midianites, the Midian. Midian was when uh, a man called Gideon, with God's help, defeated 135,000 soldiers with just 300 men. And those 300 men were just armed with torches and trumpets. It was perhaps the greatest military victory in Israel's history. Isaiah is saying that this victory is is on that level. It's earth-shattering. It's unexpected. But bearing in mind what we've heard about the light of the world, this should come as a bit of a surprise. After all, didn't we say that this great light of the world was a prince of peace? And if this is talking about Jesus, as I'm saying it is, well, he never took up arms against anyone. He never fought a battle in his life. He was a lover, not a fighter. Or was he? Elsewhere in the Bible, in a book called Colossians, it says this of Jesus. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What it's saying there is actually Jesus did fight a battle, if you like. He fought a war against evil. And he triumphed over evil by his death on the cross. In fact, the Bible says he he fought all our enemies, really. He even triumphed over death by his death on the cross. We sing in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Born that man no more may die. Or in a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Jesus triumphed over all our enemies. He triumphed over what the Bible calls sin. That bit inside of us that tells God to get lost and makes us do our own thing. Even if that means hurting other people. Jesus took the penalty for that when he died on the cross. So he's taken on our biggest enemies, evil, death and sin. And this is a much bigger victory than Gideon versus 135,000 soldiers. It's an earth-shattering, epoch-changing event. That's why when Jesus came into the world, he literally split time in two. That's why next year it will be 2020. 2020, when did that happen? 2020, because it will be 2,000, uh, roughly 2,020 years since Jesus was born. This great victory brings great joy. But there's even more. Our last point, our last candle, our last uh, light is the light of peace. Let me read to you verse 5. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Because Jesus has won the victory, he can now bring us peace. And don't we all want a bit more peace at Christmas time? Okay, maybe not the sort of peace you might have got in your mind for what peace you might want at Christmas time. Jesus won't make Christmas quieter, but he can make us stronger. He can give us that peace that we long for on the inside. But more than that, really what this passage is getting at is peace with each other and peace with God. In a reality where sin has been defeated, what has God got to be angry about? If Jesus has taken the punishment for his people's sins, then the war between God and man that has been waged since the beginning of time is over. So what actually counts is being part of his people. It's very much, if you want a sort of Christmas song really for what this passage is about, is a bit of John and Yoko. Merry Christmas, war is over. But that carries on, doesn't it? War is over if you want it. So I've just got one question for you to ask yourself over the Christmas 
holidays over the Christmas period. Do you want it? War is over, but do you want it? Light has come into the world, four candles. The light of joy, the light of the world, the light of freedom, the light of peace. What are you going to do with them? We can do what I do with candles. If you buy me them for Christmas, sorry if anyone's bought me candles for Christmas, stick them in a drawer and forget about them. Um, That's what happened to my eight candles from my dad. In fact, yeah, I still have them somewhere from the 1990s. That's how long ago it actually was. Or we can enjoy their light. Candles are meant to be seen. By them, we can actually see more as well, can't we? So do you want to find out more about what Jesus is about what Christmas time is really all about. Well, I'm going to tell you some ways in a few minutes' time, but surely the weirdest thing you can do with a Christmas present is leave it unwrapped, to not look at it at all. I mean, it could be wood glue, or it could be the best present that you've ever received. There's only one way to find out. We're going to sing another carol now, and then I'll uh, tell you how you can find out a bit more over the Christmas period. Our next carol finishes with these words, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him, give my heart. That's what God wants this Christmas time, not our money or our presents. He wants us, our hearts. Let's stand and sing.